it's good to be back with you guys, and it's good to be back up here as well. You know that last week, Chris had the sermon, and I went back and listened to it, and I thought he did a fantastic job of reminding us how we can be better neighbors, how we can think about the neighborhood in which we live, and uh, be used by God. And you know, the, the week before that, Chongo preached and had a, a beautiful Christ-centered grace-oriented sermon, and it's, it's always a blessing to hear others preach, but I'm also blessed when I get to get up here and, and preach. I want to ask a, a question, and I think I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. This is one of those would-you-rather questions. So let's, let's paint a hypothetical scenario and let's pretend you have some sort of ailment, some sort of disease, some sort of problem that requires surgery. Let's just say open heart surgery. Would you rather get on YouTube, watch some videos uh, of maybe some doctors doing open heart surgery Maybe, you know, read, it, read a book or two about it. Maybe even talk to a doctor about the experience. And then go through in, in your own power, in your own strength, and do open heart surgery on yourself. Would you rather do that, or would you rather find a, a good, well-respected, trusted doctor who maybe has 500 open heart surgeries already done, Would you rather trust the doctor in this scenario or would you rather trust yourself? I'd hope that all of us are willing to admit, I don't think, I even for our doctors in here, I don't think I could do open heart surgery upon myself and have satisfactory results, right? It's very easy as humans to depend upon ourselves, to fully depend upon ourselves, to, to meet all of our needs and all of our desires. And it takes a, a, a bit of humbleness to depend upon others, to depend upon someone else. This illustration hopefully will make a little more sense as we move forward, but we're all Christians here. And we are all Christians living in the 21st century. And I believe that Christians view the Old Testament as well as the New Testament through Christ's triumphant life, death, and resurrection. I hope that is the case. Because when there are many things that we can focus on in this life and even focus on when we're reading the Bible, I'd rather have Jesus. Above all else, I'd rather have Jesus. John 1.17 says this, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Thus Paul, the former Pharisee, spurned not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith. Philippians 3, 9. What about your faith? 
What about your faith? Is your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus? Or is your faith in your own performance of the law? Where does your faith lie? Once you've answered that question, and I want you to answer that for yourself, where is your faith? Is your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus or is your faith in your own performance of the law? Once you've answered that question, I believe that you can then answer this. Are you reading the scriptures like a Pharisee? Are you reading the scriptures like a Pharisee? Maybe a a, a sobering thought. Maybe a hard question to ask yourself. Maybe wondering what, what exactly does that mean? I'd like to take a few moments and have you notice the difference between reading a a very popular chapter in the Old Testament, Psalm 119. Long chapter, right? You start getting into the verses and wow, 100 verses are going by and this chapter is still going. But notice the difference between reading Psalm 119 from an old covenant perspective versus a new covenant focus on Jesus. Psalm 119, 77, and an old covenant reading goes like this. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. A new covenant reading, the, the, the focus being Jesus would read like this. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for Jesus is my delight. Verse 92, the old covenant reading, if your law Had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. New covenant reading, if Jesus had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 97, the old covenantal reading, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. A new covenantal reading, oh, how I love Jesus. He is my meditation all the day. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Old covenantal reading, new covenantal reading, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and Jesus is my delight. Reading Psalm 119 from a Christological perspective is transformative. It gives life. It changes life. It's truly amazing grace. Once you have grasped what the new covenant is and that Christ is the center of it, it changes or it should change the way that you look at life and the way that you read your Bible. Let's look at a number of other verses from Psalm 119 to see how powerful this new covenantal reading is can be. Verse 11, Jesus, I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 25, my soul is dragging in the dust. Give me life through Jesus. 37, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and give me life in Jesus. Verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction. Jesus has given me life. 105, Jesus is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. 
Verse 111, Jesus I have taken as my heritage forever, for he is the rejoicing of my heart. 134, deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I trust in Jesus. 143, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet Jesus is my delight. 147, I arose before the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in Jesus. And verse 162, I rejoice in Jesus as one who finds great wealth. Legalists doodily resist seeing the scriptures through Jesus. The same way the Pharisees did. They clung to their old covenant perspective. Everything was about the law and everything was self-focused. If I can just keep the law, then I can be saved. If I can just follow the law perfectly, then I can make it to heaven. If that's the mindset, if that's the understanding, we have to honestly ask ourselves, where would salvation come? It'd come from keeping the law, right? It would come from our own abilities, our own will, our own efforts. And we wonder why the Pharisees and Jesus clashed so much because Jesus is bringing this new covenantal perspective and the Pharisees were unwilling to let go of the old covenantal perspective. Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. Summarizing, the entire Bible testifies of Jesus. If you're missing that, the problem isn't with the Bible. The problem is with your reading of it and your dependence upon self instead of dependence upon Jesus. So if this is the way the Bible is supposed to be read, finding that all of the scriptures testify of Jesus, then why don't we just do the easy thing and read it that way? Read it that way. 2 Corinthians 3, we'll look at a number of verses here. Paul says, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Wow. Letting everything be seen through Jesus is a biblical way, a new covenantal way of reading the scriptures. How do you read the scriptures? How do you read the Old Testament? Do you find Jesus there? Or do you believe the lie that many believed in Jesus' day, that all those Old Testament characters that are going to be saved 
They're going to be saved because they were so good, because they kept the law. This is the way the New Testament authors used the Old Testament. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Hebrews 12, 24. So see, we usually, when we talk about the story of Cain and Abel, we usually talk about Abel as being the hero of that story. But the author of Hebrews here says, no, 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 no. The hero is Jesus. The hero is Jesus. If the New Testament has already interpreted the Old Testament story for us, then why do we want to give it a different meaning? Why do we want to give it a different meaning? We pretend and we act as if Abel was so good and he was the hero of the story because he, he did the right thing. Now, was it a good thing that Abel was obedient? Was it a good thing that Abel was obedient? Yes, of course, of course. But it was not the most important thing. Obedience in the Christian life is a good thing. It's an important aspect. But it can't be the only thing. Because if you've left Jesus out of the equation, it's legalism. And it leads to death. The Bible says that you've already broke the law. You're already guilty. You can't backtrack. You can't say, well, tomorrow I'm gonna start perfectly keeping the law. You've already broken it. I've already broken it. And we deserve to die because of it. That's a pretty sad outlook on life. And it's the outlook on life that is void of Jesus. But when you bring Jesus into the equation, you realize that God loved us so much that he came down, he became a man. He lived in this flesh that we have and he did the thing that we could not do, which was perfectly keep the law. And then he said, hey, I, I've got you covered. I'm gonna die in your place so that you can live, so that you can have life. Now, God's revelation has been necessarily progressive. In the Old Testament, speaking through symbols and prophets, but finally and supremely speaking through his son, speaking through Jesus. Now, many of us know that the word Torah, broadly speaking, means instruction. And more narrowly speaking, it means law. Either way, Jesus came and he reinterpreted everything that the people had believed before. How many times do you find Jesus saying, I know that you've heard it said, but now I say. I know that you've heard it said, but now I say. Now, did he just do away with the law and say, oh, just anarchy, do whatever you want? No, 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 no. And many times he even pushed the law forward. No, it's not just about 
sleeping with somebody that is not your spouse, that is adultery, but it's even thinking about doing that thing. But what is the focus? What is our focus? Is our focus on keeping the law in our own strength or is our focus on Jesus and allowing him, asking him to come into our lives and keep the law for us? With this understanding, henceforth, everything has meaning and value only to the extent that Jesus is revealed and proclaimed. If Jesus isn't there in your teachings, if Jesus isn't there in your theology, you're lugging around dead man's bones and soon you will be the same. It's a curse. It's a curse that the devil is constantly trying to gift to us. And God is saying, I've given you the only gift that you need. I've given you Jesus. Paul is adamant that we live and teach this way. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. With the appearance of God in the flesh, all doctrine, all theology, all teachings must now be enfleshed or incarnate in Christ. If it's not, it's no longer Christian. Now, I've, I've been speaking in, in broad terms, but let me, let me scope it down just, just a little bit for those here that are members of this church and are, are members of the Seventh-day Adventist church at large. I wanna read something from one of the, the founders of our church. Now, realize and understand, this was written over 100 years ago. A problem that was seen, talked about over 100 years ago, and it's still a problem in many of our churches. This, is, this comes from the pen of Ellen White. As a people, we have preached the law until we are as dry as the hills of Gilboa that had neither dew nor rain. We must preach Christ in the law and there will be sap and nourishment in the preaching that will be as food to the famishing flock of God. We must not trust in our own merits at all but in the merits of Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. Now I've been to many churches and I listened to many sermons and I've read many books connected with Seventh-day Adventism. And I hear a lot of sermons about the Sabbath. I hear a lot of presentations about the heavenly sanctuary. I hear a lot of seminars about the second coming. And oftentimes, these messages are taught and they're preached and the person delivering that message has forgotten that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath 
that Jesus is the high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, that Jesus is the reality of the second coming. It can't just be about head knowledge. It's gotta be about heart knowledge too. And if we're teaching a doctrine disconnected from Christ, we're teaching like a Pharisee. We're preaching like a Pharisee. We're reading our Bibles like a Pharisee. Indeed, the essence of everything is Jesus. To the point that Paul could say, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. So to, to summarize this present discussion, it's theologically bankrupt to read Psalm 119 in terms of depersonalized instruction because that's how the Jews read it. And when Jesus showed up to make things personal, they missed it. They crucified him. Rules and regulations apart from Jesus will never change your life for the better. It'll make you bitter, it'll make you cold, and it'll make you feel hopeless because our hope is found in Jesus. Jesus is the lamp unto our feet. Jesus is our meditation all day. Jesus is our heritage forever. The entire Old Testament must be viewed through the lens of the Christ event. And therein is its spiritual value for us today. Does this make sense? I, I, I hope this doesn't come across as me saying, throw out the law. Don't ever try to do anything good. Because that's not what I'm saying. The question I'm asking is, where is your dependence placed? Is it placed upon yourself? Or is it placed upon Jesus? Because I firmly believe with everything in my heart that Christianity is not just about justification, about accepting Jesus, and now in God's eyes you're seen as righteous. It goes further than that. It moves on into sanctification. God wants us to live a better life. Yes, a better life of obedience. Yes, a better life of good works. But if the obedience and the good works does not come from a place in your heart that is rooted in Christ, it's selfishness, it's legalism, and it's dead. Are, do we have the ability to still keep the Old Testament and to say that there's tremendous value in it when I view it through the lens of Christ. Because I know many Christians, new covenantal Christians, that throw out the Old Testament, that say it's no good. And I believe the problem there 
is that they're throwing out everything that pointed to Christ. God has given us this book. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament, but the thread that's tying it all together is Jesus. Are you willing to see it? Are you willing to allow Jesus to speak to your heart? Are you willing to take my advice and stop reading your Bible like a Pharisee? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And there's tremendous understanding and transformative power in reading the Bible with Jesus front and center in your mind. He wants to change you. Are you willing this morning to say, I no longer want to do good things in my own power. I want to allow Christ to work through me. Are you willing today to say, I'm sick of just reading the Bible as a book of just rules and regulations and law disconnected from Christ who gave the law and who is giving us the power to keep the law? We can't do it alone. But with Christ, all things are possible. If you wanna have that sort of experience in your Christian life, simple appeal, I just ask that you would stand with me right now. I want Jesus to be first and foremost in my thoughts, whether I'm reading the Bible, whether I'm doing good things, or whether I'm following the law. Without Jesus, it's meaningless. It's the same way with Christmas. If it's all just about buying presents and decorating and having a huge meal and you forget the reason why we're celebrating, it's meaningless. We can have dinner together any day. We can decorate our house any way, any day. But this is a special time to reflect upon what Jesus gave to you and me what it means for our lives and what it can then mean for others' lives that we come into contact with. Lord, we come to you now admitting that we get confused sometimes. Sometimes we lose the point, we miss the mark. We're admitting that we aren't perfect. We are admitting that we don't have all the answers, but we also are believing in faith that you do have all the answers, that you know the right way. And so, Lord, we want to trust in you in all that we say, all that we do, all that we read, all that we teach. Lord, give us Jesus. Lord, give us Jesus because we need him more now than ever. We believe, Lord, that you have heard these prayers. We believe, Lord, that you have seen the true intentions of our heart. And so we accept Jesus' spirit into our lives right now. We accept his mind in place of our minds. Lord, use us as tools in your hand. And Lord, as we continue going through this month, give us opportunities to share Jesus with people. Keep us in focus 
of the reason for the season. And no matter what comes our way, the last words out of our mouth are, I'd rather have Jesus. We ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.